This episode is brought to you by Heidi. Imagine kicking back while a HIPAA compliant AI scribe writes your soap notes for free. Yes, you heard us right. Heidi is free. I'm Dr. Tom, Heidi's CEO and founder, and we started Heidi to stop clinicians wasting their life on clinical documentation. Heidi transforms your consult babble into crisp, clear soap notes, personalizing itself with every edit. One day, Heidi will be your AI resident, looking through research, explaining plans, and doing anything you don't want to. If you currently pay for an AI scribe in your practice, you should swap to Heidi. We'll even credit you for anything you've already paid. Dive into the description for the link and make your practice the envy of every stethoscope in town. Sign up and watch Heidi work its magic all for free because you've got better things to do. How can we use the principles of coaching and persuasion to help us communicate better with our patients? Stay tuned and find out. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, we have Joshua Washington. He has a master's in organizational psychology from Torah University and then worked for Advent Health in Orlando, which has it's a humongous health system, has over 80,000 employees, where he started in patient experience, something near and dear to my heart, and then worked as a physician communication coach. So even though his master's is in organizational psychology, he really never envisioned himself in that position. But there he was giving advice to physicians on how they could better communicate. And that's what we're going to learn from him today. But due to that popularity and his role, he he decided to start his own company. So he called that Lee Malvo, named after his grandmother, who inspired him to go into the healthcare space. And what he does is he helps physicians with our communication skills. And he also, if you have the opportunity, wrote the book, The Mentality for Success. So Joshua Washington, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Bradley, thanks for having me, man. And fun fact, my bachelor's is actually in interpersonal communication. I don't know if we talked about that. Yeah. Communication all the way. I love it. I love it. Let's get right into it. When you start working with a physician, right? Like either they've been assigned to you, right? I know that happens sometimes, right? When, you're, when your scores aren't so good or maybe you're getting a lot of complaints or they elect to, to seek you out because they want to improve themselves. What do you first ask them? I love that question, but I'm going to back up one, one step before I even a- answer that. So one of the rules, so to speak, that I had when I launched this program within Advent Health I wanted to get away from patient experience coaching or communication coaching being a punitive activity. So I actually went to our chief medical officer and pitched this idea of delivering this as a case study because words matter, right? And doctors care about case studies. They may not care about, you know, some of the patient experience stuff, but you start speaking case studies and all that and scientific, you know, language, you got their attention. So we called it a case study and I really showed them how that all the surveying for patient experience really is measuring not their competence, but their ability to communicate their competence. And that's how I got into the door. So the first, to get to your question, the first thing I ask a physician whenever we're about to start working is what is it that got you interested and started in medicine? What sparked that passion for you to go into the field of medicine? We're not going to talk anything about scores, anything about patient experience. We're going to talk and start off with you as a person. And I'm guessing where you're going with that and where you're going is you're trying to make sure that your goals are aligned with their goals or at least their perceived goals or at least their goals when they started going into medicine. So maybe their current goals kind of ran out of alignment with 
when they were that ambitious medical student. So you're trying to kind of get them back in alignment with their former selves. True. And I'm also trying to build trust because I know coming into the conversation, I'm not a doctor, but doctors trust me. And the reason why they trust me is because I come into the door really interested in them first. A lot of the relationships between physicians and administrative partners within an organization sometimes can be very transactional. And believe it or not, physicians are humans too, man. I know it's been a little myth out there, but physicians are humans as well. So just asking them about people like to talk about themselves. So giving them an opportunity to talk about themselves, express what they care about. And then I'm going to try to align my work with what they care about. And it creates a a better partnership instead of me being the, the punitive coach that's coming in because your scores suck. Got it. So you're, and you're also, you're breaking down some barriers. It's like an icebreaker at the beginning of a social event, right? Where you get them to talk about themselves, which is a little disarming. I didn't think I was going to come here and talk about myself. I thought I was going to come here and find out all the stuff I'm doing wrong. So you kind of flip the script a little bit, which then disarms them and makes them a little more receptive to learning. And here's a bonus. The second question I asked them is, when a patient comes to see you, what's the top one or three things you want that patient to leave you saying about their time with you? And you want to know what the number one answer is, Bradley? What's that? They say every physician I've worked with has said, I want them to feel like I am competent. Oh, that's interesting. That's the answer. I want them to feel like I am a competent physician. So it is very interesting because it goes back to the psychological effect that sometimes the surveys and things can have on physicians that don't get spoken about enough because physicians usually aren't going to, they're not going to come to your office and cry about it, right? But internally in their heart of hearts, many of them, when there's a bad patient comment, oftentimes it's internalized as they don't think I'm competent. They don't think all the work I've put in, the hours I've put in learning the things that I've learned to make me you know, an expert in my field. They don't really see me that way. And that for any human being can be a little bit taxing if you if it happens time and time again without the proper support in your you know corner. See, that's really interesting. I would think they would want that from their peers. Like they'd want their peers to recognize them as competent, but they'd want their their patients to recognize them as like affable. You know, or maybe this is just me. <laughs> it's just it's just I'm just looking in a mirror right now. No, Bradley, it's both because think about it. A lot of these organizations have moved to transparent score revealing. So I know my colleague is going to see where my patient experience scores are. I had a doctor once who there was a 99 percentile, and that's probably the highest you can get as far as Prescani is concerned. And there was a 99 percentile doctor working in the same hub. And this doctor says to me, I'll never be that doctor. They're this, 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 and that. And there's that comparison, right? You don't feel as competent as your colleague because your scores aren't as high. So it is that, Bradley. It's that, but it's also wanting the patients to feel the same way so that it can reflect in your circles with your colleagues. You may have already answered it, but let me know if you have another answer to this question, which is how do you get buy-in from resistant physicians? And again, the answer might be you just told me, but if you have any other tips or tricks to get buy-in from resistant physicians, let me know. No, I haven't told you this one. Because the answer is I don't get buy-in from resistant physicians. Part of my strategy when I go into an organization and we work on their overall, all of the doctors together, I always, my strategy is to work from the middle. Do not throw me your, you know, we call them sometimes the bottom performers. I don't, because that will come across as punitive and it gives it kind of this rudimentary feel to it. So when I have a physician, the first call, that third question I'm asking them, is this something that you want to do? 
Because if it's not something you want to do, think about just sports, for instance. You don't have to force a player to play on a team. They want to play on the team. They may not like all of your coaching, but they want to be on the team. In any aspect of life, whether it's in the gym, whether it's anywhere where the coaching is involved, it is a voluntary kind of setup. If the physician is not in on it and they're being coerced or forced to do it, then we, we cut ties right there because you're going to waste your time and mine. The team analogy doesn't really work. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, there are a finite number of sports teams with tens to hundreds of thousands of people that would give anything to be in those positions, right? That those athletes are in. But physicians are hard to come by. There aren't many of us. And so if you're not getting buy-in from the physicians, it's not like you can just get rid of them and get some new physicians. You need to change the culture of the place so that you do get buy-in from them. Is what you're saying, I might be putting words in your mouth here, that if you elevate the upper 50%, then the lower half kind of gets dragged along, you know, like rising tide lifts all boats. There you go. So that is the strategy. I was just about to say that. So that it's an overall strategy of working with the, the middle and then getting them to rise because what will happen is your bottom performers will look around and say, well, I don't want to be one of the only physicians around here that's not scoring well. But it also, I couple that with the fact that if you're not ready, it's just like, it's almost like dating. Like you can't force someone to grow. You can't force someone to change behaviors that they've been practicing majority of their life. If you are resistant Bradley and I say, all right, then that's fine. Then you are more likely to walk away from that conversation saying, wait, they didn't fight back. He didn't like try to force me. Am I really making the right decision here? So a lot of it's also the psychology of change as well. So um, I don't want to get too far into that, but that's really what it is. No, no. Get too far. Let's go. <laughs> well, no, the psychology of change is people, it's like uh, we call it tripping over the truth in coaching. I can tell you all day, Bradley, what you need to do, what you should do, but the studies show that you won't really begin to do those things until you feel like you're the one that came up with the solution, until you feel like you're the one that discovered the aha. My job is really to just be a guide, not especially physicians with their personality types. Don't want to be told <laughs> what to do, right? I worked with a cardiologist once and I'm like, you have to really be able to communicate in a way that comes across as a guide and not someone that's telling them what to do. Because the truth is, I'm not the expert. You are. My job is to extract the expertise. And I know you say sports is a challenging comparison, but think about Jordan. His number one trainer, I think his name was Tim, I can't remember his last name, but Tim something. He was never a star basketball player or athlete, but that was the one person that Jordan trusted with his health and with his conditioning and with his growth and development. Because that person served as a guide. So I want to be the guide, not the one trying to pretend like I have the expertise because I don't. It's funny. We had an episode a few months ago, how to talk to a science denier. And one of the things that we talked about was like, you can't change their mind. That's not happening. You just have to pave the way for them to be able to change their own mind and come to these new conclusions on their own. But you can't force it to happen. So that's the same thing. You're just putting the pieces in a position to make it easier for them to change, but you can't make them change. So the pieces in position and then the surroundings. So the surroundings is let's work on the middle because that's going to be an easy win. Get them to the top. That's the surroundings. And then let's put certain steps, certain breadcrumbs to give them the motivation and intrinsic, yeah, the intrinsic motivation to want to change. I love where this is going. Okay. So now let's talk about some of those changes, right? And so what are some of the more high return on investment changes you've helped physicians make in their communication? The highest return, 
probably the one that sounds the most simplistic. And that is, it is amazing how many physicians do not have a plan going into the exam room. I asked, so first, we start with the current state assessment. So I help a physician, what I call, identify their current script. And so I ask, well, how do you, what's your, take me through your usual kind of run through when you walk into the room. What are your steps? And if I ask him three times, every answer is probably going to be different. And so what that does is it puts a lot of tax and stress on the mind to figure out how to approach each conversation differently. Um, and I think that's the biggest return on investment is helping them nail down a strategic and systematized approach in the exam room because, it, number one, it gives them more opportunity to uh, have a, a expectation, kind of expect what, know what to expect, and then measurement. If I know what my routine is and I can better measure where the gaps are, where the failures are, which gives a quicker feedback and recovery cycle for improvement. Actually, and this dovetails to a, a previous episode that I did with another ENT like myself, John Schneider, where we talked about how we have these scripts that we use over and over, right? Because we say the same things. And so by using those scripts, it actually releases some cognitive load so that we can focus on other things, like the nuance of the patient's facial expression of maybe they're not understanding what we're saying. And so you're saying this strategy of having a routine way of going into the patient room, of having a plan of how you're going to approach the patient before you enter the room also frees up some cognitive load to be able to pivot and change and respond to some of the nuance that goes into that room. And I'll expand on that a little bit because, of course, I, I like you, Bradley. So I'll give you a little bit more of the tea. I really like to break the physician visit into three segments. And it's really simple, beginning, middle, and end. But in those beginning portions is where we want to really work on the rapport. And depending on whether it's a new patient or an existing patient, or in your case, let's say it's a patient that we have to talk about weight loss, we want to approach that, that rapport building section very strategically. If you're a doctor that is working or you maybe want to take notes or you may want to dictate while you're talking with the patient, there are certain things you want to do in that visit to make sure that you don't put a barrier, of, block a barrier of trust. And then that middle portion is where the crux of the communication skill set takes place. That's where a lot of the confrontation usually exists. That's where a lot of the resistance usually exists with the, the patient. And so when we're talking about that routine, I want a doctor to first understand conceptually how they want their visit to go and then get down to some of those tactical scripts. Because I don't believe tactical scripts are the, the first starting point because every patient is different. So we start with the conceptual approach first and then we build our tactic, our, you know, our tactics on top of that. What do you mean? What do you mean by a tactical script? So for instance, I mentioned a weight loss patient. So a weight loss patient, I'm try to make sure I don't use words that the audience wouldn't know. I use a spectrum of change for, say, patients that are like weight loss patients. And so you have the spectrum of change in the beginning. There's the unaware. I don't know that I'm overweight. I don't know that I need to lose weight and, and get this taken care of. All right, rare. But next you have the one who is problem aware. I know I have a problem. I'm not really clear on what the solution is. I and mean, I may not even be motivated to look at the solution. Then you have the next one who is solution aware. I know there is a solution. I'm just, I need help finding the right one, doc. And this is where it starts to get into the green area for a doctor. And then next you have the product aware one who is just looking for the right product. And then finally, the one who's ready for change. Okay. That's a self-managed patient that every doctor would love. You give them their instructions. They go do what you tell them to do. Now, each one of those different uh, segments along the spectrum require a different tactical communication approach. If you are a patient in that unaware or problem aware uh, section, then I want to use more stories. 
I'm going to use more stories because that builds that trust and helps get you further down the change uh, spectrum. So if you're coming in and you ha- you're dealing with weight loss issues, and I know it's really hard for you, I may tell you some stories about two or three other patients, you know, without violating any HIPAA, of course. But, I, but I'll tell you some stories about other patients who were in similar circumstances and saw the results that you're looking for. And that kind of eases, you know, the tension in the room. But that is a tactical approach. That's interesting that you find that stories are sometimes appropriate, but sometimes not. I think probably not necessary, more so than not appropriate. Yeah, because if you have a, a patient that's on the, let's say, at the product awareness level of change, and I believe we call it something else in, 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 in the, uh, the healthcare, but they don't want a story. They just want, doc, tell me what I need to take and I'm, I trust you. We're, we're good to go. But you want to know because if you do that same, if you use that same tactic with a patient who's closer to the unaware or only problem aware and you just say, well, just take this and call me next week, they're going to feel like, well, Bradley didn't care about me at all. That's why this understanding this spectrum of change helps the doctor to know which tool to pull out of their tool belt from a communication perspective. To get the most out of your career as a physician, you need an employment contract that supports you. Unfortunately, most contracts do not initially include everything you need to be successful. Employers draft contracts with their best interests in mind, but the terms that benefit your employer are rarely as valuable to you. Before signing an employment contract, you should always make sure your salary, bonuses, paid time off, and other terms are fair. Resolve is the one and only place you can get live salary data, so you know exactly what's happening in your specialty at all times. The best part of the data is that it's verified from real physician contracts. With access to data on what physicians like you are earning, you know when you're being underpaid and can confidently ask for what you deserve. In addition to providing data, they're the number one firm specializing in physician employment contracts. They work with every specialty nationwide. At Resolve, you get connected with an experienced attorney who will work with you one-on-one to ensure you sign with confidence. Your attorney will take your priorities into account, address concerns, make suggestions, and help you strategize for any negotiation. They can even negotiate with an employer on your behalf. So whether you're a seasoned attending or just finished training, Resolve is here to support you in every step of the way. Visit Resolve.com to learn more and discover how to sign your ideal employment contract. Resolve, your trusted partner for physician contract review, negotiations, and salary data. One of the challenges that I have is that they are not necessarily problem aware or problem unaware, but rather that you are changing their diagnosis and they're resistant to that change. They've been told for many years that they have sinus problems, but really they have sinus headaches, which are more of a migraine problem. They've been told that they get bronchitis and post-nasal drip. But really, they're coughing because they have asthma. So you're, they've been told by a bunch of other doctors that this is their problem. And in their mind, they are a problem. They have allergies. And then you tell them, no, you don't. This is your problem. And they're going to say, like, and it strikes at their identity because they've, some people have no problem. They're like, listen, I haven't been getting better on this regimen. So I'm open to new ideas. But those people that aren't open to new ideas because they're still locked in this identity, do you have any tips for getting them out of that identity? Wow, man, how much time we got? <laughs> that that's a that's a 
that's a complex case. I, I'll, I'll only, I'll try to give the best angle, but there are a few here. So a lot, oftentimes it's just like any other relationship. It's really how you position and word your questions, for instance. So let's say we have a patient like that, right? And we're talking through, and I say, you know, Mr. Johnson, I see you're a little bit resistant to this idea. And give me on a scale of one to 10, how, where is the resistance right now? All right. And he says, well, I'm at like an eight, eight being like highly resistant. And I say, well, okay, John, I would love to get you down to like a a two. Tell me what would it take to get you down to like a two? And then you just sit back and listen. And what we're listening for is some of what you mentioned. I'll use your language, the identity kind of the sacred cows kind of things that are in there. Because you're never, like we said earlier, you're never going to flat out convince them that they should just take your word as gospel. But what we want to do is earn the trust to say, okay, here are the things that are big button issues to you. Maybe here's a better example. I had a cardiologist I was working with once. And he had a patient who walked in with a machine, like a, a mobile machine that was keeping him alive. And he was sitting there and his blood pressure was spiked. And so, you know, like any other good cardiologist, he's like, dude, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And he's like, well, I didn't have, all I had at, at lunch was some water and, you know, some vegetables or something. He was like, but I had a little bit of Coke. So maybe that's why my blood pressure is up. And the doctor's like, no, no, no. Your blood pressure wouldn't be up that high from just a little bit of Coke. You need to go to the emergency room. Oh, I misspoke. I meant cocaine. I meant cocaine, yeah. not cocaine. The old, the old formula from 100 years ago that actually had cocaine and methamphetamines. Yeah, and that's probably exactly what it was, right? So in the cardiologist is getting more and more frustrated because you're going back and forth. He's like, no, no. The doctor's saying, I'm afraid you're going to die on my exam table, man. But so the conversation continues. Him and I walk out for a second for something. I can't even remember why. But I pulled him aside and I said, listen, I want you to go in and just ask him, just ask him, what is it that has him, you know, so resistant to going to the emergency room? And so we went back in and he just asked him. And the patient goes, I'm scared. I'm scared to go to the emergency room and it had to do with, you know, past traumas and things he saw in his family. I get it. But because we got to the root, we were able to say, give him a, a sense of support, a sense of control, and to really be able to, to speak into some of those details that had him afraid to go there. And so I think that example best describes some of the ways that you can deal with those complex cases. But it's also understanding as a physician, you're not always going to win those. And sometimes you're just going to have to take that loss because some patients just aren't ready to change. Unacceptable. (laughs) I take that as a personal failure each time that happens. Yeah. All the good ones do. Got to roll with them. Got to roll them. Okay. So let's talk about a little about time efficiency in the operating room and not in the exam room, right? When we're talking to our patients, because, you know, a lot of Times we hear that, you know, we don't listen to our patients enough. We don't listen. We don't connect with them enough. And a lot of that stuff can be time consuming. But at the same time, we've got 10 patients waiting for us to call them back with the results. We've got four patients in the waiting room. We've got patients clamoring to get in because there's no room on the schedule. So we have to also respect the pe- those people while respecting the person that's in front of us. So how do we make sure that we're communicating effectively and efficiently? Do you have any tips for that? Yeah. One of the things I worked on, I was working with a uh, gastro doctor. And it was so funny. He, he swore he was in each room for 30 minutes. And he probably was close to that. But what we started doing was this technique of setting the pace 
and setting the tone for the visit. So what that looks like is when a doctor comes in and we sit down and we get through the rapport stuff, I give you as a patient kind of a high level. Okay, Mrs. Susan, I want to start here, get a little bit of information about this, and I'm going to kind of sit back and listen and ask you some questions and then we'll move on here. So it's really just setting expectations at the front end of I really want to focus on this particular issue. You set the agenda. Yeah, you set the agenda with the patient. And that's that helps the patient kind of pace themselves. And at the end, if you ever have to tell the patient, well, you know, what? I don't think we're going to be able to get into that today. It helps that you've already established on the front end why. So that's one technique that we practice that we've seen have a tremendous difference in cases where like this gastro doctor who was triple booked. So really, literally no time to be able to hear the life story. But there are ways to hear the life story in a more efficient manner. And that's one of them. Now, something else that you talk about is persuasion. And that's something that we've talked about in the show, you know, whether or not it's even the physician's job to persuade the patient rather than just give them the information and let them decide. But, but I do think that we are like the, not, not just the stewards of the information, but like also with our experience and shepherding them towards one direction or the other, the onus is on us. I think that is the right thing to do. But it's something that we don't learn. In medical school. And I think we should. I think we should be taught some principles of persuasion. So what are the, what are some principles of persuasion or techniques that you talk to your clients about? Well, I speak mostly on the conceptual piece first. That's the part that I think is hardest for, or the biggest aha, I should say, for a lot of the physicians I've worked with. And it's this, I love the word you use, shepherd, because it's not about persuading the patient to do something as much as it is persuading the patient that you are for lack of a better term, the good shepherd. You are someone that could be trusted. And I actually, I don't teach some of the persuasive principles until we get to that advanced level of communication because I think that's an advanced technique. So that's where I teach in the physician as coach arena, for instance, because persuasion is a part of coaching. And, and I believe today, if you're going to be a physician, you better learn some techniques in coaching because what you're really doing is you're persuading that patient that they can trust you to guide them, to shepherd them, that you are for them. Think about it. Healthcare has taken a lot of slack over the last five to 10 years. And a lot of it is around where they're just money hungry. They just want your money. They just want to pump you with pills. I watched a doctor almost break down in the exam room because a mom was incon inconsolable that her crying that her son was put on blood pressure medications because the doctor just wanted some extra cash. And that's just a, a really depleting for a physician. And so we, we work on that relationship because I believe the, the biggest fight for physicians of the future is going to be managing the relational toll of medicine. That's going to be the, the fight. So the persuasion is in getting you and I on the same page that you can trust me as your coach, trust me as your shepherd in this process. Let's talk about coaching, right? Because we can use some principles of coaching to help improve patient outcomes. So is there anything from coaching that you think our physicians should be aware of that'll help us manage our patients? Yeah. One of the easiest ones, let's, let's hit some of the, the low-hanging fruit. Understand what your patient's goals are. I think it's worth a small conversation. Let's say you're talking before you get to the plan of care discussion. It's always good to get an idea of what does this patient care about? And it's really it's similar to what I ask a doctor. You know, What's the one or two things you want a patient to leave you saying? That's a great question to ask your patient. You know, what are you hoping to get out of this? 
Like, what are you, what are you looking for? Because then you can help to temper their expectations because you are the expert and that's why they came to see you. But sometimes when a doctor doesn't know, it's very hard to build that relationship if you don't understand what their goals are. So that's one important technique. I mean, that sounds like motivational interviewing, right? You want to help them get to their goals, not to your goals. So you have to identify what their goals and their values are and then just point out to them that what your goals are for them align with their goals. And I will say this, sometimes it's not even helping them accomplish their goals. Sometimes what it all boils down to is just acknowledging that you see, you hear, and you understand what their goals are. And that really goes down to the empathy piece, which is a major persuasion uh, technique. It's just making sure you listen when they tell you what their goals are, repeat them back to them. Hey, I understand this is what you're looking to accomplish. Did I miss anything? And just that 30 second interaction can have tremendous amounts of trust bloom into the room. It's not just making sure you accomplish their goals, because again, that, that may not be realistic, but we can always make sure that they know that their goals are understood and acknowledged. All right. Well, we got to wrap up here. So let's get one more piece of low-hanging fruit, high ROI, brass tacks, stuff that are something that our physicians can start doing tomorrow. Something physicians can start doing tomorrow. Okay. Here's some low-hanging fruit. On your... I don't. We don't have time for this. Came from a, a working with a urologist that dropped an f bomb because he was so frustrated. He'd get to the end of his plan of care, and the patient would just look at him like deer in the headlights, having no idea, or they'd leave and do nothing. So we started working on this playful kind of recap. And at the end of his his uh, visit, he'd ask the patient, "Okay, all right, pop quiz. Tell me what's our plan of care." And he'd just stop and sit back and listen. And the first two times, that's when he dropped the F-bomb. He's like, am I speaking a different language in here? But by the fourth or fifth time, he began to see the trends of gaps where his patients were missing. Because all of your patients, if we look at the demographics and psychographics, we're going to find some similarities. And then if we come up with those routines, like we talked about at the top, then you're going to be able to identify quickly where the gaps are in your communication. So we found that with his patients, there was one in particular thing he was doing that was causing them to not really grasp that plan of care. And, and if we hadn't asked that pop quiz question, which is simple, hey, okay, pop quiz, tell me what's our plan of care. Very strategic words. I don't know if I would say it like that. I don't know if you want to really want to put patients on the spot. I think there's probably a better way to, to phrase that, right? Like, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So can you just tell me what the plan of care is? I think that might be a less... It's very intentional, Bradley. Think this is what it is, relationship driven. Because if you and I were at a party and we, you know, we were building a relationship, you wouldn't talk to me that way. Most likely you'd be like, all right, Josh, pop quiz, tell me this. We're friends. We are building a relationship. So that's why the question is formed that way. Because I want to teach physicians how to build better relationships and release some of that cognitive load of trying to So you're saying it's like in a playful way, not in a uh Yes. Not in a pop, get your pins out. We're going to grade yeah, this yeah, bad yeah. boy. This is, going on, this is on the final exam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's more of a playful. It's in the delivery. It's in the yes, delivery. it's in the delivery. But you're saying it not because you want that specific patient to be able to repeat it back, but rather because you're saying that because we tend to explain the same things in the same ways over and over, if patients aren't understanding something, they're probably... A, the bulk of them are not understanding the same few parts. So then we can identify those gaps and then change our spiels, for lack of a better word, and fill those in. 
bingo, because the majority of them are not going to say anything. It's just like the the statistics they found in customer service. Like one out of 27 of your customers will will speak up. The other 26 are going to just leave you. So this is what that's about. You want to be able to listen. What are they grasping? What are they struggling with? And it helps with the overall patient panel that you have. Fantastic. All right. So Joshua Washington of Lee Malvo, M-A-L-V-E-A-U-X. So where can people find you online uh, if they want to learn more and hire you as a coach? Well, LeeMalvo.com is a good way or just let's connect on LinkedIn, man. Shoot me a message. I love to you know speak to you directly. That's a great place to connect with me. I'm always on there having some fun. So those are two good places. Actually, email Joshua at LeeMalvo.com or on LinkedIn or the website LeeMalvo.com. Great place to find me. Joshua Washington, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Bradley. Thanks again from Heidi. Elevate your practice with a free AI scribe, zero cost, HIPAA compliant, and time saving. Ready to swap? We've got you covered for past AI scribe expenses. Head to HeidiHealth.com, get started, and make your practice the envy of every stethoscope in town. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.